This morning, we've got a great treat for you this morning on Mother's Day. And it is great uh, to be here with you on Mother's Day. And I know on that day, there are all kinds of people in different places. Uh, perhaps today, you're a, you're a mom, and uh, I pray that you are feeling blessed and appreciated. Maybe you're pregnant and expecting and ready to become a mom, and that's exciting. Uh, you know, but uh, perhaps on this day as well, maybe you've lost your mom recently, and this is a tough day for you, and we pray God's grace for you. Or perhaps you are hoping to be a mom, and it just hasn't happened yet, and uh, we pray for God's uh, grace for you as well on a day like this. Uh, but, um, you know, this past month or so, I mentioned my wife had surgery about a month ago, so she's been uh, laid up a little bit with her foot and I've had a whole new appreciation for everything my wife does. And, uh, and it's been wonderful for me to gain that appreciation for doing, for doing all those things. But the other thing that's come to my realization is I thought about, I thought, man, those of you who are single parents and single moms and doing this journey on your own, um, I mean, even, you know, she had surgery, she's still in the house and everything, but I can't imagine uh, the challenges that you face are a little different uh, than the challenges that those of us who do have two parents at home, and I pray God's grace for you in the midst of the, the struggles and trials and challenges that you face. I know God gives you the strength and the grace to be able to do that. Uh, so it's a wonderful day to be in God's house. Uh, no matter where you are, God has something for you this morning. And we've got a special guest who's going to share with you. If you were at the ladies' tea yesterday, you got to hear Sherry Rose Shepherd. Uh, if you weren't, she's got a word from the Lord for all of us, men and women, this morning. And uh, she's got something uh, from, uh, from the Lord that I believe he wants to speak. And so we want to have our hearts open to that. We're going to give, show you her introductory video just, so, just to bring you up to speed a little bit on Sherry Rose Shepherd's story. It'll be quicker than me trying to give you a bio of it. And it'll give you a little bit more information on who she is. At the end of this video, I think it, it is the one we used at the ladies' tea yesterday. So it may say, I think it says, welcome, ladies. Um, so, um, those of you who are men here, now you'll know how ladies feel when we say, hey guys, and all that stuff. So, uh, that's, that's fine. Uh, but at the end of the video, Sherry Rose Shepard, just give her a good welcome as she comes at the end of this video. But let's watch this video, give you a little bit of background on her. Born into a Jewish Hollywood family, her dad was a well-known disc jockey and her mother was Miss California. But home life was not happy. Filled with fighting and lonely nights of crying. At age 11, the fighting stopped. Her parents divorced. The pain took its toll. By 16, she was addicted to drugs. 50 pounds overweight, depressed, and involved with the wrong crowd. Desperate for a prom date, she paid her best friend's brother to take her. At the dance, the homecoming king called her Sherry the Whale. Devastated, she took action. Lost weight, entered pageants, won the national crown, but beauty is only skin deep. Inside, she was still a mess. The media found her before photo and blasted her past around the world. But what was meant for evil became an instrument for good. It launched her ministry. Today, she's a wife and mother, and despite suffering dyslexia, in God's strength, has become a best-selling author with the number one show on Focus on the Family. Ladies, give an extraordinary welcome. Welcome to Sherry Rose Shepherd. 
Thank you so much. I want to introduce my daughter. It's my birthday I've spent with you all, and it's Mother's Day. My birthday was two days ago. I know you saw that pageant picture. That was 20 years ago. Get over it. I do age, because I have. Um, I'm over 50. I just turned 53, so I'm still hot. It just comes in flashes. But um, I want to introduce my daughter, who is here with me, Emily Joy. Can you stand up? And my spiritual son that we adopted into our family, Jacob Daniel. Can you stand up? And I have Jacob, my son, who had his job before Jacob took his job, but he met his wife on the road. Jacob manages our ministry and takes care of me, and that's like taking care of 10 children. And he, um, my son, met his wife in North Carolina. I was speaking at a church just like this, and a little southern belle stole my son. Um, but she redeemed herself because she gave me a grandbaby. So I have a little granddaughter that's two years old, and then we have a new baby on the way. I told her she owes me twin boys because she took mine. I want two back for the one. But uh, as you saw, I did grow up in a Jewish family. I grew up in a very dysfunctional family, and I'm thinking just now about Mother's Day and the things that, like this would be the last place I'd ever thought I'd end up speaking on Mother's Day because when my parents married and divorced, no one was divorced in my school or in my neighborhood. I was the only one with a dysfunctional family, it seemed. I'm sure there was dysfunctional families, but there was no one that divorced. There was no broken families. And so I felt very broken because of that. There was no support groups. I used to feel sorry for myself you know, until I started, until I became a Christian at 24, and I realized that there's no support groups now for functional people, so I'm gonna start one. <laughs> but, um, my, my family, again, married and divorced three times each, five blended families. I did not have a relationship, good relationship with my mom. After my parents divorced, uh, my mom and I had no relationship because I chose to live with my dad. And it, it, I, wanna, I didn't have this in my notes, but I don't know where you're at with family, with moms, with brokenness, but I want to share a little bit. I was going to share my testimony But I'm going to share this story instead. I did become a Christian at 24, and I feel more led to share this story about my mom, so I'm going to go there. But my my mom and I, um, from the time I was 11 and 12, our relationship disintegrated completely. She was a very broken woman. She'd been very abused growing up, and she didn't know the loving grace and healing power of Jesus Christ the way that I have the privilege of knowing that now. So she passed that pain and abuse to to me. And um, I was pregnant with my son. And, the, and now let me fast forward now. I'm 28, married. And I, I married someone from Arizona, and I lived there 10 years. So I tell people I'm a Jew that wandered around in the desert. But um, and if you've never been there, go home tonight, stick your blow dryer on high, and put it in your mouth. But that's Arizona for you. But, but um, I, I was so... So here I am now pregnant, and I got pregnant on my honeymoon on birth control, so that worked well. But um, I, I was thinking about my mom... Like, I couldn't help but go, wow, I'm going to be a mom, and I have no relationship with my mom. Now, I had a great relationship with my stepmom. So if you're a stepmom in here, I want to tell you, you can have an impact. My stepmom is the one that took that before picture. My stepmom is the one that helped me lose 60 pounds. My stepmom is the one that got me off drugs. My stepmom is the one that spoke life to me when everybody else spoke death to me. My stepmom is the one that picked up the mess that my parents made with me and cleaned it up. So she was an extension of God's love, grace, and mercy as a stepmom, and I praise God for her. Um, but back to my mom. So, uh, and the reason why I had a good stepmom, by the way, is because I found her. I set her up with my dad because I didn't want to have an evil one. 
So I want to clarify that. But, and so it always helps children, if you're in this room, find them a spouse, anyway, that you like. And then you, anyway, that's a whole other therapy session. We'll talk later. But, my, but now I'm pregnant, and I'm 29 years old, and I'm married, and I don't have a relationship with my real mom. And so I decide to write her a letter to let her know that I'm going to have a baby, and I would love for her to be a part of the baby's life somehow. And, and I get this box in the mail. I was so excited. I thought it was a gift from her. And, and when I opened up the box, it had my baby clothes, baby pictures of me, and my birth certificate, and she wrote on it, I wish you'd never been born. No one's caused me greater pain than you. Now, my mom was not a horrible person. She was a hurting person that needed to be healed. And hurting people hurt people. And so I was very hormonal at being pregnant, very um, overwhelmed by pain and felt falsely accused and blamed for things that weren't my fault. And I cried out to God and said, God, why am I being blamed for my mom's past. It's not my fault my parents cheated on each other. It's not my fault that they divorced. It's not my fault that her mom and her grandma and grandpa abused her. Why is she blaming me and making me pay the price for what she had to go through? I don't feel, Jesus, like I did anything wrong, and I felt him whisper to me, either did I, but I paid the price for you and I went to a cross for you. Would you be willing, Sherry Rose, to love her most when she deserves it the least so she can be introduced to me? Would you lay down what you want, which is justice, so she can find Jesus? And through a bucket of tears, not because I wanted to and not because I felt like it, I wrote a letter to my mom asking her to forgive me for whatever I had done to cause her to regret giving birth to me. Today, my mom is a born-again Christian. She lives with me, and I take care of her in her older years in her 80s. <laughs> Laying stones is hard. And when you're in the midst of fires, it's hard. It's hard to do the right thing, and faith is a foreign thing. Doing what God wants you to do and doing what you feel like doing are two different things. But whenever you do what you feel like you want to do, it's destruction. It adds to the destruction. Whenever you do what God wants you to do, as hard as it is to be uncomfortable, discomfort is better than destruction. Better that you would be uncomfortable and humble yourself and feel like an idiot for a few moments and rebuild an entire generation of family. Because from that act that I didn't want to do, I'm not a nice person, anybody, no one is. Anybody here think they're a great person? Then you're in the wrong church, I think. Because we're just sinners that need to be saved by grace. No matter how we act, we're not. We're filthy sinners saved by grace. I have no, nothing that qualifies me to stand up here and be preaching to you on a Sunday morning other than Christ alone. I have nothing to boast about other than Christ alone. But I do know the power of the cross in my own life. And I know when that stone was laid in my family, not only did my mom become born again, but I got set free to be the mom I wanted to be. And I became the mom I never had. And now my daughter has a relationship 
with my mom that I never had. God waited in his sense of humor until I was almost 40 to give me Emily. So my mom and I, because I have 11 years spread between my son and my daughter, could have 11 years to rebuild a very broken, damaged, hard, harsh relationship. It was not happily ever after. She's still a pain in the tush. (laughs) But my daughter will never know the mom I knew because my mother's sin is where mine is at the cross. And I could choose to make my mom suffer and say, you didn't love me, so no way am I gonna let you love my daughter. Or I could set an example for my daughter and my son saying, lay down your losses, Sherry, and let God be glorified in your pain so your legacy can outlive you. And so, This morning, what God laid in my heart, because I've been ministering now for 24 years, this is not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an ice skater, I told the girls yesterday. Now I'm a grandma. If God had given me what I wanted, at best I'd be at grandma's on ice. But... But, but God didn't give me that. And, he, and I wanted a happily ever after. He didn't give me that. I wanted a white picket fence. He didn't give me that. Matter of fact, I wanted to be home every day the rest of my life and never move again because my parents have married and divorced three times and my dad's a very successful Jewish businessman. So every time a better opportunity came, another city came, another house came, another school, another neighborhood. So I was telling God, I want to be home in one place. I never want to move again. And now, I, you know, 24 years later, 1,000 events I've spoke at, there is no, I'll be home one day. When I'm home, I get to stay there. But right now, that's not what God gave me. He gave me the opportunity to share all the mistakes I had to make publicly. That's what he gave me. And now he had to fix it. But in 24 years of speaking, I've never seen more of God's people in fires that they aren't coming out of or in situations they had no idea how they got there, or they never dreamed they would be there. And I'm talking good people, godly people, people that love the Lord with all their heart, mothers that raised their children in the ways of the Lord, and their children walked away from the Lord. I've seen churches that dedicated their entire existence, pastors, wonderful pastors, that have dedicated their life to building a foundation in a church where people could be nurtured and loved, and the church fell apart, and there was a church split. I've been traveling, I've seen a lot of church splits lately. And I've seen um, marriages where they were on fire and they were good and now they're mediocre and they're barely there. Or marriages that burned up or burned out or people that were faithful in their jobs and they were faithful tithers and they were faithful and good workers and they did their work as in the Lord and they're going, where is God in that? And one thing I have learned is that we're in the Lord's army and when the military signs up for the army of the United States of America, they do not get a choice where they're stationed. And so what we think we lost may be just a restationing. We have a friend that accidentally killed someone in a, in a uh, crosswalk, and he's going to prison. And as we were have him in at our Bible study, God gave me a word for him to show him that instead of, oh, poor man, this is terrible, we said, God has stationed you there for a reason. There's prisoners that need to be set free. And we changed his perspective, and now he is going in for the 10 years he's in, not defeated, but he's going to go in and defeat the enemy behind the bars. Perspective changes everything. 
So I'm praying that this morning as the message that God has given me when we're in fires will change your passion and your family and your purpose and your legacy. I thank you, God, for the men that are in this church service today. Whenever I see a man in church, I praise God for that. Whenever I see a young person praising the Lord, I don't know about you, but don't you praise God when you see a young person, the next generation faith, lifting their hands and praising God because they're all we have. So with that said, Lord, I just pray that I would disappear because nothing I say means anything without you. Let your word and your work be done in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. John Wesley said, get on fire for God and people will come watch you burn. I love that. I love Deuteronomy 4.36 when um, he's telling Moses, I mean, just to think about Moses' experience, it says, he let you hear his voice from heaven so he could instruct you. He let you see his great fire here on earth so he could speak to you from it. One of the things that I found is I, I found that most of us have no idea what faith is for until we're thrown in the fire. I feel like we, you know, we can go to church, we can hear the word, but how many in this room would say, it was a battle, it was a fire that made me realize how important my faith is, raise your hand, or made you a better person, or at least a more compassionate person? Who, how many of you have been in a fire and it made you less judgmental? A lot less judgmental. And so when you're thrown in the fire, you, you either burn out, you burn up, or you burn away, all that doesn't matter. And one of my favorite stories that we've heard is the silversmith, he doesn't take the metal out of the fire till he can see his own reflection in it. And so many times when I'm in a fire, I've learned to go to God and say, God, this doesn't feel good. It's getting hot. It feels like the flames are going to consume me. If you could purify me in here and if you could show me what it is you're trying to teach me, that would be great so we could get out of here. And I think that when you go in that perspective first, you'll have the ability to see the fire as a gift as the thing that purifies you so Christ can be seen in you and through you. Matter of fact, Isaiah 48.10 proves this. He says, see, I've refined you, though not as silver, but I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. Fires force us to evaluate and evacuate. If, if your home is burning up, if, it choose to, if it's burning up right now, you're going to grab what's most valuable to you. And the rest isn't going to matter because you're looking at it going, wow, it's going to burn anyway. So I need to be grabbing what can't be replaced. Can you imagine if we lived every day investing and pouring into what cannot be replaced? Can you imagine if that's how we lived every day? I may not have tomorrow. I need to invest in something that will outlive me and it can't be replaced. And so what I've had to learn, even as a speaker, is I'm not that important. The only thing that's important is that I do the will of God. So you can justify things. Well, my job, so I don't have time for my family, my, my positioning, I don't have to do what everybody else does. Or you can say, you know what, I need to look at where I'm not replaceable. For me, I'm not replaceable as a mom, but I am certainly replaceable as a speaker. So no matter where I speak or where God brings me, it doesn't matter because I'm replaceable. His spirit, he can talk through a donkey in the word of God, which means he can talk through anybody. So we're not that big a deal, but God's a big deal. So we need to look at first where we're replaceable. We're not replaceable. I'm not replaceable in Emily's life right now. She's 14. So when I'm not speaking, the most important thing should be my, my children, my family, the affairs of my household. And so fires are a great thing because they say, what can't be replaced? What's going to evacuate? 
And so I want to talk about, I, God gave me something that we learned when we were in elementary school. Do you remember when the firemen came to visit us and they said, what do you do if you're on fire? What did they say to do? Stop, drop, and roll. So I'm praying this will help us to remember to stop, drop, and roll. So if you're on fire, your family's on fire, your marriage is on fire, your finances are on fire, the first thing is the stop, the first stop, stop freaking out and focus on what you're fighting for. Because everybody freaking out in a fire will not put a fire out. Is that true? And also understand that everybody in your family is going to react different to the fire. So it doesn't mean that one is better, it just means it's different. Everybody, when they first see that a fire is hit, some people go inward, some people go outward, some people flip out, some people turn to drugs or alcohol or they get busy or they don't want to feel it all. Everybody reacts different to the fire. So I need to stop, especially if I'm the man of the household or if I'm a single mother, the woman of the household, and I need to look at, okay, I got to calm down my crew so I can take them through the fire. What is going to calm down my daughter is going to calm down my son differently. And so I need to stop freaking out myself and I need to focus on what I'm fighting for. So if I'm in the fire, the first thing I'm going to fight for probably is to keep my faith, wondering where God is and all that. I'm sure that that's how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt. They were godly, obedient men, but they were still thrown into the fire. But it was that fire that turned the king and the land to the one true God. So what, why you're in the fire instead of why me, God? What do you want to do with me in the fire? How can I glorify you in the fire? How can I be purified in the fire? What can I do that I can be used of you in the fire? And how can I minister to those that are in the fire with me? Secondly is stop talking death. Stop fueling people's fears. James 3, 6, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness, corrupting the entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. Anybody say something they regret? once maybe in your life, for it is, set by, it is set on fire by hell itself. But the Bible also says the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. David had a moment, King David, where he was uh, acting out of character. And I want to say this, just because you act out of character doesn't mean you don't have character. It means you are acting out of character. Have you ever done anything that you go, I can't believe I did that? Paul did. He said, and he's a godly man, in the word of God, he said, I don't know why I do opposite of what I want to do because there's this war inside of me. But Satan wants to whisper to you, you're not Christian, you're not good enough, give up your faith, look how horrible you are. But acting out of character doesn't mean you don't have character because David had a moment where he was acting out of character, but someone was sent to him to speak life and it put the fire out that would have wiped out his future. It was Abigail. David was um, a, a godly man, as we know. He was a worshiper. He was a man after God's own heart. And um, he had gone from the glory days to the cave and now he's coming out of the cave on his way to the crown, but he didn't get to the crown yet. But God did spare his life with all his enemies and now he's winning battles again and hanging out with his best buddy, Jonathan, and um, he, he just won a big battle, and in that battle, he was able to protect Abigail and Abal's land, Abal's Abigail's husband, and David's and his army are hungry, and he goes into David's army and wants to be fed. They're hungry, and they just fought a big battle, and Abigail's husband said, no, I'm not going to feed him, and David went into an outrage. He acted out of character. He wasn't the cool King David. He was completely outraged berserk. He gathered all the men together and said, let's go kill everybody in that household. How dare them deny it, 
feeding us when we're the ones that protected their land. And Abigail met him before she got to the house, he got to their household to kill them all. And first of all, what she did is she brought food. So we learn here, feed the hungry, angry man, feed him first. And then the second men are going, amen, amen, feed me. And then you can talk to me, feed me first. And, and she says to him, David, I see why you're angry, but this isn't who you are, David. This is not who you are. You are the future king, and is the blood of my household worth wiping out your future destiny as king? You've already not killed King David while he was sleeping when he tried to kill you. You've endured a cave. You've won battles. You've killed a giant. David, remember who you are, and he says in the word of God, thank God that he sent you on this day, Abigail, for it is you that saved my destiny. And then once her husband died, he went back and married her. How cool is that? And so my point is, when people are on fire, when you think your wife is acting berserk, pray and say, how can I give her words that are a life-giving fountain that can water her and calm her down? Because many times what's happening, and I'll just talk real quick, marriage, is that the husband is the captain and the woman is the radar and the radar sees danger before the captain and the radar will go loud and loud and loud and the, and, and the captain will make the final decision, but the radar can't help but be affected because that's what they're wired to do, to be the helpmate. And so, if you see a fire in your home, what can I do to water it? What can I do to calm it down? What can I do to speak life to my kids, to my family? Stop fueling fears. How many times do we talk about what could happen? And how many of you in this room have suffered many catastrophes and most of them never happened? Think about it. We think out worst case scenarios and then we get all wound up about it and then we react off of worst case scenarios. One time, um, my husband was painting my living room coral and coral walls with forest green carpet. It looked like a tea room. But, um, you know, if mom was happy, no one's not happy. Just I'll plug that in for Mother's Day. But, um, and the paint was a special kind of paint and, I, and he wanted me to go at dark and go to the paint store and get more paint and I said, well, I don't want to because it's dark and I don't want to drive at night by myself. And, and, and the reason why I felt that way is because we had his parents' van. And I just heard a story a few weeks about, before that of a young man, and this is when you used to pump gas, they pumped it for you, that saved a woman's life. There was a gunman in the back of her van and he could see she was going to be killed. And he was a hero because he said, um, your credit card's not working. You need to come into the office and talk to the credit card company. He got her out of the van without getting them both killed, called the police and saved her life. So I thought all vans came with gunmen. And so when I was being asked to get in a van at night with a gunman in the back, I didn't want to get the paint. He goes, well, your paint's going to be wrecked or you go, or you go to the store and get it. And I, you know, I wanted the paint. So I, I, I got courageous and got in the van. But I drive, a, at that time, a stick shift, and this car is an automatic. How many of you know that when automatics are in drive, they drive? <laughs> but when a stick shift, if you don't push on the gas and you stop it, it dies, Right? So that's all I knew was a stick shift. I've never driven, like, I didn't have an automatic ever my whole life. Growing up, all my cars were stick shifts. And I back out of our driveway, and I look in the rearview mirror, and I'm positive there's a gunman in the back. And so I just reversed it, 
pulled out in the street and put it, went to put it in drive and freaked out and got out of the car and it was still in drive. So it was still going forward towards our neighborhood, neighbor's living room window. But I don't want to get in the car with the gunman, but I don't want to kill the neighbors. So I grab the side of the open driver's door and I hang on to it and I actually tried to stop the car like Fred Flintstone with my heels, and I'm hanging off the side of the car going, honey, screaming, he sees his wife hanging off the side of a door with a van going towards the neighbors, and he runs out, what are you doing? It was a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> but what, who puts a blanket over a vacuum cleaner? That's just stupid. Anyway, but my freak out could have caused a lot of damage. And a lot of times we do that. We freak people out. We freak our kids out. We talk more about the bad news than the good news of the gospel. We talk how big the giant is, not how big God is. And David, we need David's perspective if we want to fuel faith in our kids and each other. David was the only one that didn't see that giant as too big to hit. He saw that giant as too big to miss. You really want to be a blessing and anchor people in their faith and yourself. Speak life to yourself. Speak how big God is, not how big the problem is, and it will change everything. Stop burning yourself out, trying to fix everything yourself. You're not God. Say, he is God, and I am not. Isn't that a relief? Say it again. He is God. And look at your neighbor and say, you are not. And so we burn ourselves out carrying burdens that are not ours to carry. They're not, they're God's to carry. Or we burn ourselves out, women, I'll talk to you first, with busyness. And I heard a wonderful acronym to busyness, B-U-S-Y, being under Satan's yoke. Stop leaning on your own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. Just say, God, when you're in a fire, God, I trust you. I trust you that somehow you will make a way. I trust you that you will only let burn up what doesn't matter to you or what's in the way of you and me. I trust you, Lord. And stop blaming yourself and beating yourself up because beating yourself up, even if you started the fire, isn't going to get you out of the fire. Accepting God's grace and stop blaming others. And the drop is drop to your knees. Drop what's not the word. You know, a lot of times we say, I, don't, I feel so far from God, I don't see any miracles of God in my life. And we have to, at that moment, say, well, what is it that's in my life that is not of the word? What is it in my life that's stopping God from working in my life? In Proverbs 4, 20 to 23, he says to us this morning, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Do not lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to the whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the entire course of your life. And so when you feel far from God and you feel like everything's burning up, then just get with God and just say, God, purify me. What is it in my life that is not of you? Because when we become a Christian, we only get a new spirit. We don't get a new flesh. And so I'm going to feed one or the other, and whatever I feed is going to dominate. So if I feed my flesh, then that's what's going to dominate. If I feed my spirit, that's what's going to dominate. One of the things in our household growing up, because I was raised in such a dysfunctional family with drugs and adultery and sex and 
cussing and horrible talk, and I grew up just seeing all kinds of flesh. And so I made a decision when I became a mom that none of those things would be in my household because they could get all those things in the world. So we didn't have cable TV, we didn't have TV, we didn't have internets, we didn't have movies I didn't approve of, we, we didn't have any of those things. And what's interesting is we had a pool table, a ping pong table, a pantry full of food, and when my son was growing up, we had an open door policy that the kids could come and go in our home, but I didn't want them in their home because I didn't know what was going on in their homes. And now that I've ministered for 24 years, almost every bad thing that's happened to your children is because they were in someone else's home. And then you have to find about it later. Have you noticed that, Pastor? How many times that happens? Wisdom tells me, know where your kids are going and who they're hanging out with. And if you don't know the family and you don't know the moral fiber of them, don't put them there. And don't worry about people's feelings because this is what that looks like. Satan comes to your door, or a murderer comes to your door and says, I'd like to come in and murder your family. No, you'd lock the door. Then he starts to pout. Please let me come in. You're hurting my feelings. I want to come in and murder your children. Okay. So just know, don't let people manipulate you and break down your moral fiber of your own home. Joshua 3.5 says, purify yourself so the Lord can do great and mighty things. And what's interesting is to this day, I'm 53 years old. My son is 25. His friends to this day still call me mom. They still expect, they still look at me as their spiritual mom all these years later from when they were 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And they only wanted to come to our home. And we were the only home that didn't have all the fancy stuff. Why is that? Because their spirit could breathe. They didn't even know. And because I had a pantry full of food. But they didn't even know. They just knew there was peace there. And so I would say if purify your home means get rid of the dishonor, get rid of the sarcasm, get rid of the things that are not of God, and you'll get God, and you'll get a lot of God. But if I feed my flesh, that's what's going to dominate. In other words, put on your oxygen mask first, purify yourself, and the example of your purification will make others want to put on theirs. I have 10 minutes, so I'm speeding up. Roll. The roll is roll and wrestle with God. Fight for your blessing. I love how Jacob in Genesis 322 to 20, 322, 24 to 26, Jacob was left alone with the man, wrestled with him till daybreak. Then he saw the man could not overpower him. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and he were wrenched in pain, but he still wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let go of me, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let go unless you bless me. That's what we want. If we have children, wouldn't you love your kids to say, I will stay here and do what you want me to do, and I will obey you because I want to be blessed. Would that not warm your heart as a mom and a dad? If your children say, I love you so much, Daddy. I love you so much, Mommy, that I trust you, and I want to have you teach me all that I need to know to prepare me for the fires of life. You would just, you couldn't do enough for that baby. You would, you would want to bless them beyond blessing. And that's what God's saying. It's not that he doesn't want to bless us. He just wants us to seek him first. 
And he doesn't want to give us something that's going to take us away from him. So if what we're praying for and asking for is going to take us away from the places we can't be replaced, and it's going to take us away from family, it's going to take us away from him, it's going to take us away from church, why would he give us something that will take us away from him? Why would you give something to your children that would take them away from you being able to raise them up and have time with them while you have them at home? And I've learned if it's a fire is what it takes for everything to burn away. So be it. I was disappointed when um, God didn't give me what I fought for. I have fought for a blessing uh, for 25 years, actually. I fought faithfully, and God owed me a happily ever after. As a matter of fact, he promises his blessing for those that are faithful. And I didn't get what I wanted. I stand here today as de- feeling, felt defeated as a single mom. A fire that I didn't start, but I was in the house that burnt down. And I had a choice to make. I could walk away from God. Or I could look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, how I react in this fire could turn many to the Lord that are as brokenhearted as I am. And even if someone hasn't remained faithful to you, your God has remained faithful to you and you, do, you want to remain faithful to him. 25 years of marriage, 24 years of ministry, over one million books sold in people's hands, of me standing boldly as a Jewish girl from a dysfunctional family saying, he is God, he has the power to change a life, he is bigger than any circumstance, and now in the public eye of ministry, right after producing a Bible study on fighting for your marriage, I lose mine. In a fire. Many of you are in a fire with a job, with a child, with a mother, father, situation, I don't know. The fire, it doesn't matter what the fire is. It can feel overwhelming. Jesus had an overwhelming moment. He was in a fire. He had a moment where he said to to his own daddy, Father, is there any way this cup can be passed from me? And I stand before God saying that same thing. No, God. I already grew up in a dysfunctional family. Please, Don't let me walk with a D on my forehead. But you can only control you. You can only react to the fire the way between you and God. And if my reactions are based on everybody else's reactions, my kids won't be serving God when I'm gone. But if I anchor myself and I say, if it's a fire that what it takes... If God has to allow everything to be taken from me that ever meant anything to me, he did it with Job. And I can stand before my children and say, for me and my house, for better or for worse, children, we are going to serve the Lord. We are going to continue to worship every night, which we do. 
We are going to continue to read the word every night. We are going to continue to pray. We are going to continue to go to church. We are going to continue to help hurting people. Because half the nation is broken. And all if you think about God's army, not only do they not get a choice where they're stationed, they can't stop fighting just because they have a boo-boo. If there's an enemy coming at us, we want them to fight to the death. And they know that when they sign up for the military. Better that your children would see you fighting the good fight, keeping your faith, and finishing your race, whether you ever get what you wanted or not. Because your legacy can't be burned up. And no one's actions can keep you from finishing strong with the Lord. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, said they didn't even smell like smoke. But if you're not going to come out of the fire, then do what Moses did. Moses' actions kept him out of the promised land, but Moses entered the promised land through Joshua. I have a book on the back table about how to raise our sons to be godly husbands. I wrote it for moms because I did the math on you men having to spend the rest of your life with a woman. I'm so sorry. And I'm um, so sorry about First Peter 3, 8. that says you have to live with us in an understanding way. I'm really sorry. I don't know how you could do that. Um, but, but thank you. And I want to stand before you as someone that... Um, I just want to read something. I'm so sorry about this. But God gave me something right before I came up here that I put in here. Because we've been talking all weekend about birthing a new thing. And Moses' death made Joshua's birth. And even though Moses blew it at the end, he redeemed his mistakes through Joshua. And so the books they have are about redeeming the next generation. If you can't um, have what you want or if you've blown it and you've burned up everything and you can't restore and of course, my theory on that is that's what grandchildren are for. If you messed up with your children, you have your grandchildren. But I, um, I want to birth a new thing in this church before I leave. So I'd like to close with this. It, this is not something I felt like writing or reading. God gave it to me when I was invited to address 5,000 men. I'm in Colorado Springs after I was on Focus on the Family. And I asked God, how can I get 5,000 men to listen to me <laughs> on how to love their wives. And God, in the harshness of my own marriage, said, I want you to stand before those 5,000 men before you speak the message on how to understand their wives and repent. So on Mother's Day, I know the greatest gift I can give mothers is a man that loves her and leads her. So I'm praying this will bring healing. Dear men of all ages, this is what I read before the 5,000 men. Now more than ever, we need you to rise up and fight for us. We need you to remain faithful to us and fight to finish strong with us. We need you to fight to leave a legacy of faith for the sake of our children and the foundation of marriage. I know this seems almost impossible. In a society that screams, you have failed us in every way. So I stand here today 
on behalf of all women and girls. And I ask that you men would forgive us for the following things. Forgive us for blaming you for all that has gone wrong in our lives and for making you pay the price for all men who have hurt us, even when it wasn't your fault. Forgive us to holding on to your past mistakes and making you feel like you don't deserve to be forgiven or to have a fresh start. Forgive us for trying to conquer you and compete with you when we were created to complete you. Forgive us for the way our words, our actions, our TV shows have publicly dishonored, discouraged, and disrespected you. Forgive us for using our beauty and our bodies to weaken your flesh so we could control you and get attention. Forgive us for all the mind games we've played with you and the manipulation we have used to get you to love us and our desperate cry for your attention. Forgive us for getting to speak life to you and to make you feel like the heroic man that we desire you to be in our lives. This is coming from a woman that does not have a man in her life right now to love her, and I still want to ask forgiveness. One thing that I have decided in my marriage situation is I will never dishonor my husband publicly or uncover a single thing he's ever done in books or on a stage. I've decided I will keep my life pure. I will stay single till death, till I come to the Lord, unless God somehow shocks me. I have decided I will remain in the ministry no matter whether I feel like it or not. And that I will fight the good fight and keep my faith and finish strong. And I will stand before any audience and say, if your marriage can be saved, please save it. If your family can be saved, please save it. Please do whatever it takes to put the fire out before it burns out. We don't need another broken family. If you can't save your own family, pour into your sons and daughters and prepare them to be wives, mothers, and husbands. Be Moses. Raise up the next generation. Thank you so much. I want to just pray for you right now. If you're here and you're like, you know what? I want to make a decision that I will stand in the gap for the next generation family. No matter what God gives me, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a hero. Jesus says those who hang on to their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for the sake of God will gain it. And if that's you right now, if you just stand to your feet, I'm going to pray that God will intercede for many generations to follow you because of your decision to stand for the next generation family. Dear God, it's not easy to stand and a lot of us feel like I have struggled angry at you and we feel like, Jesus, why have you forsaken us? Where were you in that? Many of us feel like Daniel, we were faithful and still thrown into a lion's den. Many of us feel like Joseph, we were faithful and falsely accused. Many of us feel like Job, we were faithful and we loved you and we lost everything. But God, we want to rise up above the blessings of this world and be a warrior for you. We want to go beyond our disappointment, and it's hard for us to push through pain, but it's harder to waste it. 
And right now, God, we're asking that in our brokenness and our disappointment and our wondering where you are, that you would turn us into a warrior and that you would give us back our passion. Give us back our eternal perspective. Let us be firefighters. Let us save the next generation. Please, God. Because if we don't rise up, our grandchildren won't have faith or marriage. And for those of us that are single, that don't want to be like myself, be our husbands. And for those of us that don't have fathers for our children, be the father to the fatherless that you promised to be. Break down every wall. And for those of us that are feeding our flesh more than our spirit, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convict us and show us what needs to die so you can resurrect in us. We love you so much. And you paid the price for what you didn't do wrong. So we say, for better or for worse, we will fight the good fight, keep our faith. We will be like Job. We will not curse you no matter what we lose. We will walk in integrity and we will live for the legacy because God, the legacy of faith that we have the opportunity to leave means so much more than the life we want. We're not home yet. Thank you one day we will be in a place where we won't be suffering. But for now, just give us the strength and the courage and the passion and the anointing you gave David to stand boldly before giants, to proclaim how big you are, not how big the problem is. Purify our hearts and heal our broken hearts. Be our provider. We love you, Lord. Amen. I will be at my book table. I would love to meet you. And there are some legacy books for you as well. If I don't see you after today, thank you so much for the privilege of speaking into your life. And I will look forward to seeing you in heaven. God bless you. Amen.